Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, before we started today, I just wanted to give our shout out to Grinding Coffee Company, who we have been partnering with. They've actually, uh, so the reason I'm bringing them up is they're working on getting a new Kickstarter going to expand their business. There have been some shipping delays, and this is mainly because they've been working on switching to distributors to be able to handle kind of a bigger load. But who they are is a Black-owned, LGBT-run coffee company that has been supporting gamers. Uh, if you can check out their mission statement and a download code uh, to be able to use a code for the show, and that is um, on our uh, Twitter page, along with our Patreon. We are still working at expanding the Patreon as we're looking to kind of see if we can bring on an editor to help us out. But what I wanted to really focus on today is the fact that we have Alex back. It's actually been almost a month since we've had Alex on an episode, and he's here. This is actually uh, an episode that he's been wanting to take the lead on for a while, so it was th I'm just really glad that you're here. And I wanted to just start us off with saying, yeah, what's been going on? Um, you know... <laughs> I would say not much, but it's not not much, but it's also nothing terribly significant. It's just things going on in my life, work stuff, home stuff, nothing bad and disruptive, but just more things that added to the cognitive load that is already 2020. And I just needed to give myself a bit of a break to focus on other things. And things are settled down. I don't want to say better spot because it's a different spot not good or bad, but just different. But things have settled down enough that I will hoping to get back to recording because I love doing this. I hated having to put it down, but that's just what I, I had to do for my own mental health. I mean, it's almost like we actually try as, uh, well, I'm not going to use try because I hate using try. <laughs> we as hosts have had to do or do not. Yeah. Um, we've had to take the breaks when needed and, and kind of acknowledge that that's, you know, we need to be practicing what we preach and, that is kind of a big part of it. And we've been trying to be communicative if we've needed to do that. And I just really appreciate you being able to kind of let everyone know, because I'm sure I've been getting questions. I'm like, I know just kind of, yeah, where's Alex? <laughs> and and I appreciate that you were, you know, had some episodes that you wanted to do and were able to do on your own and kind of keep things going. And that made it easier though. Obviously we have taken breaks with the cast in the past. So I knew if we had to do that, we could do that, but. Um, and very appreciative of our listeners who stuck with us through those as well. So just glad to be back. Good. And and coming back with, like I said, an episode that you've wanted to do for quite a while. I mean, very yeah. personal in some ways because uh, it deals with terminology. And terminology is something that I think that you really value and making sure yeah. that we are defining and talking about and we haven't always done the best with that yeah it's it's something i try to do it's something i know i don't always succeed at but it, I, I want to make sure that if we are especially when we're talking about concepts and things that are, are are more difficult and more complicated that we we try to define things so that people can have those conversations be in the same place as we are and understand what we're talking about um, and so today i wanted to bring up the um, called the player psychographics that uh, is the terminology that Mark Rosewater originally used, but he was talking about player type and sort of personality characteristics with the different reasons people play magic, different things people get out of magic. Um, just to, if you've heard the term Timmy, Tammy, Johnny, Jenny, Spike, Vorthos, or Mel, like those are the main things that we want to talk about in this um, this topic, but also kind of use that conversation to talk about 
um, personality characteristics and tests and things that are used outside of magic. I want to say the real world, but I guess, you know, magic happens in the real world as well. Um, particularly when we're talking about like player psychographics, that's not looking, that's looking at the game, but it's looking at the players as opposed to the game pieces and game characters. Yeah. And a lot of these things have come into episodes, but when they have, at times we have assumed that people know what they are. You know, we've mm -hmm. defined them at, at very surface levels, because uh, yep. I remember us trying to remember, you know, the feminine terms for uh, Timmy and Johnny at times, uh, because initially when these were developed, Mark Rosewater has admitted that, you know, there wasn't a, you know, it was kind of Timmy, Johnny, Spike, and realizing that those weren't gender neutral terms at all, uh, except Spike. Um, but, you know, so we've talked about them, but one of the things is we haven't really defined them. I think there's, there can be a tendency and. You know, we talk about this all the time when I work in an environment that is both military, that is in a military setting and in the government where acronyms are king. And <laughs> you, when new students come in ever at the beginning of every year, we can just be firing off acronyms as if everybody knows what we are talking about. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. It, and it's <laughs> not just in that environment, my own, my own work environment, we've had projects where things are going on and like I had to. I don't know, a year or two ago, we had a treasury workstation upgrade going on. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? And so I actually asked, I just straight up asked the head of our department, what does that mean in a meeting? And she's like, oh, uh, yeah, here, let me explain it to you. Thank you for asking the question, because sometimes we use these terms and assume everyone knows what they're, we're talking about. And it's like, so that's, it's just, it's a thing like, like lingo gets used a lot. This is a really great, I love that I, I can go on at a side, like not even five minutes into our recording already. I mean, so <laughs> Welcome back to Alex. Yeah. So this was, <laughs> I took, um, there's, there's a program called Loma, L-O-M-A. Honestly, I cannot tell you what it stands for. It's something about life insurance. It's a, it's an education program that does um, certifications and stuff for people in the financial industry. And it's like really high level, high recognition. Everybody in the financial industry knows this. If you're Loma certified, like that is significant. And I've done some Loma stuff. I have not done much, but the one class that I took all the way through to completion was this customer service class. And I, I, I really liked it. And it helped to kind of shape some of how I try to approach just life. Like I've used it in this podcast, but that was a thing where they talk about lingo and it's really difficult because in your department, you know, if you're on your if you're on a team that's five or six people, it's very much more convenient and it is great for your communication to have shorthand terms that you use for things. The problem is when you do that, you forget that when you talk to somebody from a different team, they have no idea what you're talking about. And more um, maybe dangerous isn't the right term, but even more complicated is that some of those terms that you use are going to be generic enough that they may be using those exact same terms to refer to something else. And so when you work um, cross teams and projects, when you're in customer service and you're talking to people who are outside of your company, when you're on a podcast talking to anyone around the planet who happens to tune into the, you know, download the episode, it's important to make sure that the things that you're talking about that, you, that you're not using lingo that is just for this inside group that no, no one else can understand because it can create confusion. It makes things difficult to understand. It's just not good communication. Yeah, it's, it's perfect for when you're on a team that knows what you are talking about to save time and to make things kind of simpler. It is not 
if you're trying to communicate across teams or across groups. And part of what we're aiming to do on the show is to be talking to a broad range of audience with a variety of experiences. Yep. I mean, one thing that can even happen, even within the same field, is people will use acronyms or shorthand for uh, the same letters can mean very different things. And this is why one reason that, you know, in the medical chart, there are an accepted accepted list of abbreviations. So take the letters ACT written into a note, ACT. That can stand for assertive community treatment, which is a type of program that is only really available in the community, or it can refer to uh, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, a type of therapy that we do with clients. And we could have somebody that is doing that type of therapy that is receiving those types of services. And if we just say ACT, nobody is going to know which we mean. Mm-hmm. Even SA in a note, like veteran denied SA, could mean they denied a suicide attempt, or it could mean that they denied sexual assault history. So we it's complete lack of clarity that can happen, even if we are talking within our own field. And that's why... At times, we have not defined some of our terms. Mm-hmm. I believe is what you you really were saying. Yes, and and that's that's the the importance that gets to the significance and why it's important to do that. Um, realize we've gone along in and didn't even do our normal introductions. So um, this he's <laughs> into that a little bit. So I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter <laughs> at Mel underscore Chronicler. Um, the term Mel I literally got from these uh these terms that we're going to be talking about today and i am hobbs q and i can be found at hobbs q on twitter so all right <laughs> this is pretty good to... we're, yeah. we're a solid 10 minutes in and we introduced ourselves so we're doing well it's like i said great to be back so do we want to want to lead in with the, the the three psychographics maybe talk about them and then differentiate them from the aesthetic is as mark rosewater terms them so Here's the thing. Mark Rosewater, we've mentioned him several times. He's the head designer of Magic, if you're not familiar. Um, Very public face of the game. He does a lot of communication and things. But that's who Mark is. And that's why he, making these terms is significant, being the head designer for two decades. He's been the head designer for a long time. He's been in design for at least 20 years. Maybe he hasn't been the head designer that whole time, but it's been a while. So when he says, you know, there's these groups of, we've identified these different ways that people enjoy playing magic, it's significant not just because then it gives the community talking points, but also because then he's saying, we are building the game for these types of people, for these types of ways to enjoy the game. So that's why that conversation is so significant, both from people kind of looking at themselves and introspection, but also just the way that the game is shaped going forward. Yeah, I mean, this has been, you know, this, I I would say that this is a framework that has been used Mm -hmm. for magic design, um, trying to balance out this, this belief that you are going to appeal to these broad variety of players. Um, and, and we've hit on this on the school, on the show multiple times that this game has grown to the point that everybody can play for very different reasons, even mm-hmm. playing the same game. And yeah. some of this is we get into when talking about the additions that were brought later, because I don't think that these were initially considered and they have been a lot more in later years was this idea of an aesthetics category of people who may be playing the game, not even necessarily for gameplay 
or may not even play the game, but are still very involved with the community and are an important piece to this design puzzle. Yeah, and that's that's a very important part too. Is that it's not just how they play because we talk about Vorthos a lot. That's a term I know we've used a lot on the cast, and I don't think it's ever been defined. Like I, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're considered a Vorthos cast by the Vorthos community, so <laughs> folk who know that term and follow that term would already have known that term. But people who found our cast through other means might have no idea what that means, and so that is something we're going to talk about. That's one of the aesthetics. So this started with initially uh, an, an article, and um, the, the update that I have here is from 2013. And, and I think that this update was initially done because these terms had been being used by a lot of people in the community, but Wizards actually did like a take a test. In some ways, what's funny getting into the later piece of personality test, they basically created a test and they've done this with the guilds they've done this with different um you know what color are you in magic mm-hmm. they did a test that was specifically designed to tell you what type of player you were in some ways and so they revisited really what timmy johnny spike or tammy timmy johnny jane jenny jenny see this is where and, and <laughs> this would be nice to have different terms but anyway Uh, (laughs) this was revisited in 2013 um, with kind of just reminding people what these terms were and why wizards found them to be so important. Yeah. And as a quick aside too, so as you said, he he originally can see them as Timmy, Johnny, Spike, later went back to try to be a little more inclusive and have have masculine feminine names, but that's still binary (laughs) as well. Yes. It's it's a... Technically more inclusive, but it's still not terribly, you know, fully inclusive, though. Spike, Spike is <laughs> a great term because, yeah, Spike is, you know, completely gender neutral, uh, which is why that one never got a second name. But anyway, so as as we go forward, we may trip on that a little bit because, yeah, Timmy, Tammy, Johnny, Jenny is is Spike. You know, that doesn't flow quite as well as having three terms when we have two. It, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It isn't for for, and this is an ease of conversation and language. Um, but so let's let's define these these then. So we'll go through these three. Um, I'm going to read. There's so we've got uh, player type MTG uh, wiki thing that we'll link because this is a great summation of what has been said about these, and then also has tons of links to all these different things from Mark and from other people within Wizards. Um, but so here's here's some of the original, I think this was one of the original quotes from Mark about the Timmy Tammy. Uh, Timmy wants to experience something. Timmy plays magic because he enjoys the feeling he gets when he plays. What that feeling is will vary from Timmy to Timmy, but all Timmy's have in common is that they enjoy the visceral experience of playing. Um, the the sort of stereotypical image of, of the Timmy Tammy is like the big green player. Not this isn't going to be all of them, but like the big green smashing thing is kind of the quintessential Timmy type card. Yeah, I mean, so um, what's kind of cool if you've ever seen some of the unsets, um, mm-hmm. everybody except for well, oh, sorry, <laughs> the three main type uh, type psychographics have actually been given cards in um the unsets and the first ones that were was timmy power gamer 
And I think it encompasses so well, and this is where that card design shows off what they were going for, is it basically has the ability for four mana, just put a creature from your hand into play. The idea was that you wanted to just smash with big creatures. I mean, in the original one, the original art even had like a big dragon in the the picture, and like it's this big grinning guy with just armor and weapons all over him, just mm-hmm. like ready to just crush something. Um, do you want to talk about Johnny Jenny? Sure. So uh, Johnny Jenny is uh, they they were the second profile to get a name, and basically uh, Johnny Jenny was around the ideal that they like uh, complex and creative decks. So they are often what you would commonly know as a combo player. In fact, that's the the uncard is Johnny combo player. And I think, once again, I, these cards that they have done for the unsets, uh, so if people don't know, unsets are silver-bordered, if you ever see silver-bordered magic. The idea is it, it was it started out kind of as uh, jokes. They have a lot of comedy associated with them. Some of that has been very hit and miss. They've also been very popular because they've allowed wizards to do things that they can't, that fit within the rules of the game, but maybe don't play in kind of a, a nice way. The definition of, of the things that have to, like characteristics that have to happen with these cards to fit them in the silver border set is that they cannot be printed in black border. Yes. Um, we talked about this in our, our names episode a little bit, but like magic design has a, is a, is a finite resource there is only so many things that can be designed, though, you know, it's it's a little bit like I believe it was John Stuart Mill was a philosopher who lamented that there is only so many musical notes. So there's only so many musical compositions you can make. And, you know, we've seen what, what has happened in the last two, three hundred years with music. We're making very different things. But magic design, I think, is in a similar way where there is certain types of design that they can just run out and not have new versions of. And so mm-hmm. they, Silver Border is a playground where they can test things out or a test testing place, but also things have to not be printable in Black Border to be put there so that they don't accidentally use up something that they could have just put in Black Border. Now, they may stick something in there, test it out, and then say this concept can be retrofitted and brought back to Black Border, but then they can do that. They can print the exact same card with a new name. And it's totally fine. Yeah, so the Chi stands alone in barren glory is an example of that. So that's part of why the silver bordered sets do that. But it also lets them reference sort of meta-narrative things. One of the un- one of the, the unsets has Richard Garfield PhD as a legendary creature. Um, but but Johnny Combo Player is basically four mana again, and it's to search your library for a card and put it into your hand. Because the idea is that they want to assemble a combo, and to do that, you need all of the pieces. The flavor text is really what I love on Johnny Combo Player. Just wait till I get my cart, Clarinator Works, Genesis Chamber, and a grinding station. Oh, wait. And yes, a second mirror retriever. <laughs> so the idea here is not just that it's efficient combos necessarily. It's that Johnny really, Johnny Jenny really appreciate um, the ability to kind of cards interact. So it's combinations of cards that can win the game. They like to find maybe niche cards that work with something else that they haven't thought about. Um, they really like to kind of have, uh, like I said, interactions that just, it's about interactions between cards more than kind of anything else. Yeah, and and where a, a Timmy Tammy wants a more visceral feel when they do things, Johnny Jenny wants to feel clever more yes. when yeah. they, they put things together. 
And then that, yeah, Spike is our last. Um, I think Mark Rosewater said this is actually the first psychographic they sort of identified because Spike is in, in a in a com- game like Magic is it's fairly easy to see. Spike are the competitive players. They they want to win, or you know they play play Magic primarily to sh- prove how good they are. Um, and so when you're looking at you know the the very beginning of Magic when they were designing starting to design cards for different groups as opposed to just designing cards that were kind of cool. You would have the competitive cards that they would design to be competitive, and then the cards that they would design for like casual players to enjoy. And you could kind of see that separation. And Spike is the more competitive side. Um, there's lots of different ways to be a Spike, like all of these. There's lots of different ways to, to do this, but ultimately where a Johnny, Jenny, Timmy, Tammy they all like to win too but you might win one game out of 10 with your your ridiculous combo or you might win one game where you manage to assemble a hundred creatures on the board and crater hoof your way to victory a spike would consider that a really really bad record they they want to win more much more often like that's their thing they they want to show you know prove themselves through how they win yeah, I mean, and, and the card version of this from Unstable is Spike Tournament Grinder. And and also, you know, what's interesting is this is where we also see the, the kind of recognition of Wizards that why they needed more gender-neutral terms. Mm-hmm. So they actually used an art of a female magic player. Um, and, and Spike Tournament Grinder is actually a really fun card because it, it's kind of a win-at-all-cost. So it actually involves Phyrexian mana because you can pay life to be able to play your card and be more efficient. And then what I love is the ability is for four hybrid mana, so any combination of black mana and life, up to eight life, you reveal a card you own from outside the game that's been banned or restricted in a constructed format. It doesn't have to be banned at this point. It could have been banned at any time. But the idea is those are the cards that the Spikes would have loved to have played with. They would be playing with a banned card because cards are generally bound for power level reasons. And, and power. yeah, Spike would know that list because a lot of the other players of different psychic graphics wouldn't have played enough tournaments to necessarily know or may not have played enough tournaments to even know what was once banned. Yep, yeah. So those were kind of where Wizards started. Wizards started us out with kind of these, these, these psychographics, these, these ways that really were kind of why do people play the game or how do they play the game? Yeah, and that's I think they describe Mark Rosewater just describes it as ex, they explore why players enjoy the game. I've conceptualized it as a little more how people like to play the game and these aren't mutually exclusive far from it one of these articles literally he talks about the hybrids of people who you know dip into two or all three of these um so it's it's there's a lot of of kind of depth to it once you kind of explore it but that's the the service level of of how these differentiate are are differentiated from each other do we want to talk about the aesthetic profiles yeah, I mean, yeah, let's talk about the aesthetic profiles. Basically, in 2007, the initial article came out. So uh, I think what had happened over time was realizing that 
as we've said, people um, are playing magic or interacting with magic for very different reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. So Matt Kavoda came up with this idea of 2005, Snack Time with Vorthos. And the idea was, this was a column that was a taste of magic. And what it was is it introduced this idea of, um, <laughs> so I'm just going to real quick read from the original article that explains it. So it asks, what is it, right? Okay. So um, what I love is that Vorthos, is, his name is actually John, but since there's already a Johnny in the mix as a reference to uh, Johnny Jenny, he opted to go with the name of his 16th level, level half-elven ranger war mage. It's the guy who never puts more than one of any legend in his deck because it just wouldn't be right. He's the guy who will only play with Icy Manipulator from Ice Age because it's the one they call the Bone Crank. He won't play with the Fallen Empire's cards with the stinky alternate art. So this was really kind of this idea that Magic had been including the artwork. We had the flavor text. We had kind of all of that going on. But those players maybe didn't feel that they were being represented or, or maybe it didn't feel that those psychographics were really a good representation for this whole other community of players. And then that's where I think early on, and this system has definitely kind of been expanded and, and developed, but I think early on Vorthos didn't really fit because, and, and that's where I think the aesthetic profile sort of grew out later. And that, that makes sense as sort of a different dimension of what people kind of get out of the game or the, the differentiation that I think uh, Mark Rosewater put is the psychographics explore why players enjoy the game. The aesthetics explore what they enjoy about the game. Um, and so Vorthos is, is the story is the lore is the characters. Um, a lot of the things that we talk about on this cast, which is why we're considered a Vorthos cast, but um, it, because it didn't really fit with those they they have this new characteristic. I mean, the thing is, is you can then have within the Vorthos community, you can have different types of Vorthos, just like you have different types of spikes and things. Um, but the then Mel, if want to talk about that, unless you have more to say on Vorthos. No, I think that's. I mean, the idea is, you know, like one of the reasons that if you think about this is this was kind of engagement with the story, um, the world building. Uh, from that perspective of kind of an of an aesthetic standpoint um the reason that we kind of fall into that is we oftentimes are using story mm -hmm. with then what happens in the real world yeah and now i realize i do have a little bit more to say on forthos and something i mentioned earlier <laughs> too, is is particularly with the aesthetics um you don't actually have to engage with the game itself to engage with the aesthetics of the game um so I am more sort of Johnny, Jenny, Timmy, Tammy, depending on circumstances. I don't really have much spike tendency at all. But for from from a playing standpoint, but the thing is, I haven't played Magic for a while now. It's I, I think the last time I played a game of Magic was in January. But I'm still following the cards i'm still following the story i'm still well, to some degree to be honest i'm not that's a whole other thing that we've talked about but um i'm still engaging with the game and the community in a lot of ways um, through this cast in particular and so that ties in more to the aesthetic side 
um, more to the Vorthos side and more to the Mel side. And so where Vorthos is a flavor um, engagement, Mel is a mechanical engagement. And so that it's it's a little more difficult, I think, to explain. I think it's really easy to see artwork and say, oh yeah, there's people who, even if you yourself do not appreciate it, there are people who appreciate that and I can understand that. Um, Mel is a little more... In- not invisible, but it's it's a little more hidden within the pieces of the game itself. But like there are cards, like as as I identify myself as a Mel and a Vorthal, which is where I get Mel Chronicler. I was trying to encompass both in my Twitter handle without just using them both. But in any event, um the example cards that others have used that they use in this article, like Stuffy Doll, is is a really interesting me- card mechanically. Um, so it's an artifact creature for five uh, generic mana that's zero one enters the battlefield you choose a player stuffy doll is indestructible when it is dealt damage it deals damage that much damage to the chosen player tap it stuffy doll deals one damage to itself that's a really interesting card and that's where i talk about um floodgate is the most arbitrary card that is definitely not my favorite in any given category but in a combination of every category as a both of orthos and amel is probably my favorite card because it it literally is a floodgate it's a wall which that's what a floodgate would be you lift the wall up the water comes out and it damages things it only hurts things that don't fly it's got hilarious flavor text that applies to the mechanics that the card is doing it's all of these pieces fire for me at least and that's why i love that card and so mel is yeah (laughs) i don't know if you have anything to say on mel trying to describe it is yeah i mean it's it's kind of um the the aesthetics of the mechanic you've talked about specific sets being Mm -hmm. so interesting to you because of the i mean i think we, we talked about like time spiral block for instance yeah it, it, because it, it is kind of the it takes in some ways all of the you know with, with the way that it is is um it, it, what i thought about when you've talked about that is that it finds beauty beauty and complexity and there is kind of one of those things that time spiral block for people that don't know the was kind of a an experimental set um with what it did you know the very first set of it included cards from Magic's past that were now brought forward with different borders. Um, there was weird stuff going on story-wise with timelines and kind of... But but from a standpoint of design, mm-hmm. Time Spiral kind of set it up and it was just basically a hodgepodge of mechanics. Um, I don't even remember, because we did the, the draft with it, <laughs> how many mechanics are in it but it was one of those things that made for very different difficult limited play because your deck could go in so many different directions and yeah. getting enough of any mechanic was going to be difficult but that's part of what the set was trying to do was basically show off magic's history with all of these mechanics yeah that's a good and that's a good call because that whole block is really interesting yeah. from a mechanical standpoint because it's this was during the three this was during the the block structure where there's three sets e and and they're all tied together somehow so the way they did this was time past present and future three conceptual you know pieces of time and so the the time spiral block being the first was the past so they literally had the the purple or was rarity, it time, yeah. rarity the time shifted card that was past cards reprinted in the old border in these new booster packs you had 
then the rest of the set was just old mechanics, old cards, literally, I believe, literally every card in that set somehow evokes something from the past. They're referencing some location from the Ice Age. They're referencing, you know, literally Cyclopean, was it Cyclopean? Mummy? Mummy. Was it, yeah, it was It was a combination of Cyclopean Tomb and a mummy card from the Legends set. And I can't remember the name of that. But it's like, so it just smash these two together to create this. You know, and, and there's so many cards like that. We're just like, we're going to take these two cards, stick them together. Castle Raptors referenced Castle and Enchantment from Unlimited and, and Air Alpha. And so then the the middle set was the present. So that was their time shifted sheet was the alternate cards that were just color shifted. Well, I mean, yeah. So it's like to, to see where could a design place be explored. Yep. So, you know, um, th this is where we got damnation mm -hmm. because a wrath effect. Well, so based off wrath of God came to us from white that had those type of mass removals, you know, black had been getting that over the years, but not in that way that just a four mana, kill all creatures yep and so you see that mechanically because that's just the color shifted but you can also see that from a borthos perspective where wrath of god and damnation have have sort of a similarity link to what they're doing and then the the future site <laughs> which was the worst set for people who were new to magic but <laughs> loved it. like time spiral had like 30 mechanics in it or something. And then I think um, I, Mark Rosewater talks about it in his Drive to Work podcast where he talk, he goes through all the sets. And I can't remember what the number was, but he said like before Future Sight, Magic had this many mechanics, this many named mechanics. Future Sight very nearly doubled that number. And also what it was done was it, it was card, they did a whole new card frame Mm -hmm. um with you know mana cost being done vertically there was all this idea of we were playing with kind of what could be so there was there was hints at things so like there was a cycle of lands which is where you might get something like uh the filter lands where you can pay hybrid of one mana to get out both colors but there was also the uh, aversion um horizon canopy that mm -hmm. you could tap to destroy it or to sacrifice it and get a card, or you could be using it for mana. But there yeah. wasn't a cycle of them. It was one of each with this yeah. idea that maybe you'll see these. And some of these we have seen. Yeah, we've seen two. We've seen the, those two cycles. Those cycles. Um, I don't think we've seen the other three. And they've talked about the other. This yes. is something. Mark Rosewater, probably more than any other set, answers questions about future site because so much of it was hinting at things that they could do in the future some of which they knew they were going to do just the way they work they literally had references to lorwyn which was the next block yeah uh, in those well, uh, so, so tarmogoyf came from this and tarmogoyf listed out all, all of the types because it cared about creature types and it listed card types, card types and it listed planeswalker and tribal as card types yep and those and, showed up in lower one. Yeah, nobody, you know, like people had to, you know, this was the weird parts of it, but this was really kind of a mechanics heavy yeah. and driven set. And so, and the thing is, is like uh, the silver bordered stuff, I think will tend to be more interesting to Mel 
inclined people though there's some there can be some interesting Vorthos stuff particularly in the most recent one they've they've put some efforts to build some interesting story into it the first two didn't really have that um but mechanically they do weird things in these sets i mean that's the point of those sets and some of them are jokes like harloon you know the 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 Horloon Wrangler from the first from Unglued that has denim walk. Mm-hmm. Your opponent is wearing denim. You can they can't block it. <laughs> so Probably not seeing that as a real life mechanic. No. no, so that's you know clearly that one is clearly just kind of a joke. But there is definitely some mechanics that they are experimenting with, especially in the most recent. In um, they they they're all uns, and so now I'm unstable. Unstable. Thank you. So unstable because there was such a large gap and, and he, Mark Rosewater finally, because he was a huge proponent of these, was finally able to bring it back by arguing, hey, this is a good testing ground for mechanics. Players also really like it, so we should do this. And they finally did it. And so the, the, the mechanics in that one were a little more focused on things that were clunky in the actual rules of magic, but you could kind of, but you could understand them. Like, to be honest, that's how the magic originally worked. This whole compendium of rules that exists now were created later to try to unify everything and make it more cohesive. But you look at some of these early cards and they just work in weird ways. But the whole point was they wanted to give you cards and explain how this card works. And a lot of them on their own just kind of work. Well, we we actually in the most recent got um, augment, which was where basically cards had two halves to them, and when put together to basically make a new creature that had been like a science experiment, yeah. you would get an effect. Well, that literally became mutate in a core. Yeah, that's where Ikoria just felt like you know the next silver border set between mutate and keyword t- uh, counters, like it felt like they were really experimenting and that wasn't the only thing they had a small they had a a hybrid cycle of uncommons that were like keyword tribal so your intimidate creatures now could only be blocked by three or more and there's there's one for all the hybrid colors i can't remember what they all were but like again as as a mel that was really really interesting to me that that mechanical space it hadn't really been played with there's a few places where you have your creatures with x uh, keyword have Y benefit now, but that really didn't exist in a large scale experiment of, until Icoria. Yeah. So the, the, what we've done now, yay, look at this. Yeah. We've now d- defined basically these five ca- characteristics, these five um, elements that go into how people approach the game or how design at least even sees mm-hmm. the game. Um, and what we have found is we've already at this point started talking about the, like, well, what about the hybrids? What about the, 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 the Timmy Johnny or the Johnny Timmy? And this is from Mark Rosewaters when they did the test for people, what ended up happening was lo and behold, people don't fit nicely and neatly into categories. Um, you mentioned the fact that, you know, you have already mentioned Melvin being kind of this primary element. And then when you play, maybe there's elements of Timmy and Johnny, but maybe not Spike. And I think that this is where it can get kind of confusing is that these were basically presented as categorical definitions to start with. Um, They were really presented as this idea that 
people would be one of them. Okay, now maybe people are this one and this one, including all three, or they're this one from the psychographic and this one from the aesthetic. And it starts getting kind of messy, even if these have had kind of interesting ways for us to look at card design. Um, we're quickly finding how difficult it is with categorical names like this. Yes. Do you want to kind of give that differentiation um, that you were explaining to me before the cast that I think is really interesting? And Sure. Awesome? I mean, so because this is going to come up kind of and when we get to the, the real world two piece, I'm just wanting to bring up this idea now of dimensions. Um, so the idea is that, so basically you can think of things as kind of being binary, like yes or no, or being, you know, or, or categorical in the sense of, you know, you are one or the other or the other. Uh, you can then start talking about hybrids and they have their own classifications. However, it can be a lot easier to think of these things as just as if they exist on dimensions. Um, we've made jokes about, you know, I, I, we've, we've talked about it as kind of being Vorthos light. In some ways, I kind of joke about the, you know, like capital V versus little v. It's that idea that there are degrees to how invested you might be in Vorthos. Now, it doesn't mean that you aren't, you don't consider Vorthos to be an important part of your approach to the game. It just really means that maybe it isn't the primary defining characteristics. Dimensional approaches let us actually take things and kind of have them on scales. So what you would do is you would actually take each of these five domains that we're talking about so far, and you could kind of place yourself along the spectrum. Um, you know, I am very low on spike, you might say. You know, I, I don't really care about grinding tournaments. I don't care about using the best cards to win the games. But sometimes, you know, maybe like you said, I, I do want to, if I go to an FNM, I do want to win. Mm -hmm. um, or I don't like combos that involve four or, four, four or more cards, but the kind of two-card combos is something I really like. I don't really care that much about the full interactions, but I do like to do that sometimes. The idea is that people are complicated. We're not, we're not just monoliths. We're not even bi-lists or tri-lists, right? <laughs> However many lists we want to do here. The, the idea is that we can really approach these psychographics from way more of a scale perspective to kind of use it as a way to learn about yourself and learn about how you maybe approach the game. Now, from Wizards' perspective, this is probably a little bit more difficult because, well, sorry, I take it back. I don't actually think it is. They could be thinking of that, that this is cards that are, that are, this is going to be a set that is heavy for the Johnny element. This is going to be Jenny, Johnny. This is going to be the one that, you know, we're really, the world building is going to be the most important when it comes to flavor. The mechanics are cool, but we really care a lot more that the art is really, we're going to, we're, we need to have all the art match a certain type of thing. It, it, it It's more just to think about the idea that you, you're not locked into categories. Mm -hmm. um, these are a helpful framework to just be thinking about different elements of how you approach the game, how you approach deck building, how you approach your actual play style. To me, it might be more helpful if we start talking about these along, you know, this is where I fall along the continuum when it comes to being a Mel. 
Yeah, and so they're they're not mutually exclusive. Um, and you can be, you know, one dynamic in a specific place, but not in others. Like you mentioned, maybe you go to FNM and you want to win your FNM, but you don't have ambitions beyond that. You're like, you know, I don't really care to go to a giant uh, tournament and and do do GPs and stuff. So you can be very spiky in a particular environment, and then just not very spiky outside of that. Um, well, I mean, or the joke we make on this show that, uh, and I, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I, I like to win, you know, so um, I, I play mainly EDH. I don't play tournaments. I don't really, you know, I've, I've made a GP day two one time, which was kind of a goal of mine, but I, I do like winning games. I do like my decks to be strong. When I, when I moved here, even I realized that my community of, of EDH players and that I played with in San Diego we're much closer to what now would be considered more of a competitive EDH style. And so when I would play like that, you know, like I maybe play EDH even a little spikier at times than some of the people I'm around. And it's, it's funny because like I've had to do the opposite. I've had to learn how to be a little more winning focused because otherwise I would build decks that spend a long time doing nothing and wasting everyone's time. Um, one of my favorite decks that I ever played ever was a Karn Silver Golem artifact deck that I once spent 25 minutes making a giant Rube Goldberg machine, you know, using mirror works to copy artifacts, to make more mana, to draw more cards, to make more artifacts, and fill up my playmat so full of things that I was putting them on the sides of the playmat, and then I just passed the turn. (laughs) <laughs> because the deck had the, the, the I, I played the deck a few on, on several occasions and ultimately the only way that it won was i accidentally discovered that i had a plague mirror that i put in as a mana creature but it has in fact gave it a couple of swords and just killed killed my opponent and that was how i ended the game and i was like i did that on accident i just put the swords in because they're cool and it's an artifact deck it just made me think of the fact that, um, you know, getting your opponents to concede is sometimes a very real strategy. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's where I, I took that deck apart because as much as I enjoyed playing it, no one else enjoyed playing against it. Not because it was oppressive, but because it didn't do anything. In fact, sorry, that is incorrect. It did nothing. It did <laughs> a lot. Wow. Nothing. That was a very nice Vorthos reference. Yes. So um, people don't know that is um, the flavor text off of Null Rod yes. right there, which is an artifact that basically is... turns off the abilities of artifacts. Yep. And the flavor text literally says on it. Um, but it, I it, think it's, a, it, but it doesn't do anything. And the person says, no, it does nothing. Yeah. It's Gerard talking to Hannah too, which yeah. is awesome. So Gerard's like, but it doesn't do anything. And Hannah says, no, it does nothing. There is a difference between those. Yeah. And so like I did eventually rebuild a colorless deck because I love that. Cause again, that for me, this is a mechanical challenge. I liked the idea of having to build a deck that I couldn't use basic lands in. Well, then I rebuilt it and we had wastes, but that's why I originally built it. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I Before Infect was a mechanic, we had this idea of poison, which uh-huh. did have Infect counters. Um, and I built a EDH deck before Infect was a full mechanic that was trying to use slivers and all of the poison cards because there was one sliver that gave poisonous to other slivers. Yep. Which is from yeah. Future Sight. If yeah, I remember correctly, is yeah a weird set. Yeah, uh, but so eventually the deck became less fun once there was infect. 
Yeah. And that's where I did decide to rebuild it because I did enjoy that sort of that sort of challenge with it. And I just liked the idea of, of my entire land base just being utility lands. But I I the only I, I didn't rebuild that until we went back to um Zendikar for the first time because that's when I got the Eldrazi's that I could make my commander and say, okay, I have a win condition now. I have a way to end the game. So I started building the deck for the new Ulamog because that was before Wastes and then Kozilek came out we brought the Wastes with it. And it's like, okay, well now I'll build Kozilek. So like anyone who's played Magic with me knows I have the a Kozilek deck. I love my Kozilek deck. But it was like, I, I couldn't rebuild that until I knew I had a win condition. Well, a win condition that wasn't super oppressive because like I have my, my former roommate had a Karn Silver Golem deck where you would put uh what's the card that turns every thing into artifacts mycosynth lattice mm -hmm. every permanent is an artifact and then karn animates your lands to make them zero zeros and they all die so like yeah that's a way to win kind of but i didn't want to play that so instead i played karn no win condition and that's our show for today you can find the host on twitter hops can be found at hops and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmugs, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at Vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>